Welcome to Tech Insights from Infotech Research Group, the podcast where our team of expert analysts cut through all the noise and focus on what really matters for technology leaders. I'm your host, Brian Jackson. And now, just one more thing. Those are the words that Apple fans were no doubt just waiting to hear Tim utter as he presented the new iPad Air and the new Apple Watch. Sure, those are great hardware products, but a lot of people just wanted to hear about the new iPhones. Well, we're here to tell you why that doesn't matter so much. Sure, back in 2010 and 2011, we all wanted to hear about the new iPhones. It was the exciting, sexy thing going on in technology. But these days, the hardware that Apple releases just isn't as important as the services that it puts out. So here to discuss this with me is uh, my good friend and uh, Infotech marketing wonder, Carmi Levy. Welcome, Carmi. Great to be here, Brian. Thanks for having me back. I can't wait to talk about a good Apple keynote with you, but this one was a little bit subdued during these COVID times. Carmi, can you believe it was only an hour long? No, I, mean, I was kind of looking at my watch when it ended, thinking like, is that all? Is that it? But, you know, once you, if you dispense with all the pomp and circumstance of being in the middle of Apple Park, in the middle of the Steve Jobs Theater, um, I guess you don't really need all of that time. I guess you can rip through all of your products in a lot less time. And the fact that there was no iPhone this time Kind of it. This wasn't your traditional September release, which for years has because it has been iPhone led uh, really has been the one that takes the longest. I mean, in past years, it's gone two and a half plus hours. But, you know, yeah. go ver go virtual and, punt, you know, punt the iPhones into October. And I guess you don't have as much to talk about as you might have had in uh, years past. Exactly. And I can tell you that there was more than one happy journalist covering this event out there. And uh, when was it Wednesday when they did this? Or was it Tuesday? What day of the uh, week is it? It was Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Tuesday. Every day is the same. But, um, you know, for people that are looking forward to the iPhone event, I hear that they're planning to have one in October. So we might hear about that uh, before too long. But Carmi, we have to talk about why People are, if they're looking at the new iPhone, that's fine, but it's really not the important thing from a strategic point of view, or even if you're an Apple shareholder, it's not what you care about so much anymore. I think the big news that came out of this event for me was the launch of Apple One. I mean, we've seen this accelerating shift towards services for years with Apple. It started with Apple Music, right? And then they add, kept adding on the services, Apple TV, um, there's the iCloud storage services, and, and they even released Fitness Plus at this event, and we'll get more into that. But now they're bundling them all into this convenient package, and uh, let's listen in on how that will work for consumers. So today, I'm excited to introduce Apple One. Apple One gives you and your family all the services you love in one simple plan, starting with the individual plan, which offers the best of entertainment, including Apple Music, Apple TV+, Apple Arcade, plus 50 gigabytes of iCloud. The family plan lets you share all these services with up to five members of your family, plus 200 gigabytes of iCloud. And in countries where available, there's Premiere which adds Apple News Plus, Apple Fitness Plus, and a massive two terabytes of iCloud. Apple One will be available this fall. 
All right, so there you have it. And what I think is interesting here for our enterprise audience is that uh, Apple is really building up itself as a lifestyle brand. And these services are a major part of it. What do you think, Carby? I think it's the smartest move the company could have followed. I mean, for years when they were so dependent on iPhone revenue, you know, as recently as two and a half, three years ago, uh, two out of every three dollars that Apple took in as revenue came from iPhone. Um, and that's now down to 45 percent. And with each successive uh, financial reporting period, that number gets smaller and smaller. Uh, and what's what's picking up the slack on the other side is the services business, which is now a 50 billion dollar a year business and growing in the double digits. So it's Apple's fastest growing line of business. It's a Fortune 500 company in and of itself. Um, and really it's the glue that pulls all the rest of Apple's products and services together. Uh, without services, Apple is just another hardware company and, and it, it rises and falls based on how cool its latest devices are and how well received they are by customers. But once you move beyond that and you create an ecosystem of services, not just one, but a whole bunch of them all connected to each other and all priced as part of a bundle, uh, you lock your, your, your clients in not just for one buying cycle, but for multiples, because when that iPhone gets old and they've got to replace it, it's a lot harder to, to move to, to Android or some other device if you've already invested your entire life in this particular suite of cloud-based services. So they're doing a really good job of, of creating a compelling long-term business case for uh, Apple fans to stick with them. And I think if you're you know, if you're in the enterprise space, you're looking at this going, wow, they've 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 managed to flip the script and they've they're now using cloud based services as as the, the glue to the brand. Uh, you know, how can other companies learn from this experience? It's it's kind of Amazon esque in, in a way. Um, but the difference is, is Amazon, Apple always led with hardware that you coveted. Amazon introduced hardware after the fact, almost as a loss leader. Um, and it still doesn't have quite the cachet that Apple does. And so Apple's coming at it differently. But really, the, the you know, considering where these margins are headed and where the revenue growth is coming from, it's a brilliant strategy. And a few years into it, it's already paying off. Yeah, it's interesting how you compare it to Amazon. And I think that's apps because it has built itself into a platform organization much like Amazon has with being an e-commerce platform as well as a, a cloud services platform. And I think in classic Apple fashion, they've sort of hung back a little bit, watched what some of the leaders in these services spaces have done, and then launched their services to the market. And by all standards, uh, they're very good services that are really satisfying their customers. I mean, you look at Apple TV, there's great content on there that people are wanting to watch with top tier actors. You look at iCloud, it's easy to use. It syncs up your iPhone. It lets you share your photos. I mean, they're just top tier premium offerings across the board. And I think Apple was able to release them on their own terms. And of course, the brilliance of it all is that to buy into the platform from a consumer point of view, you need to buy into the Apple hardware. So it all reinforces itself. The more people are locked into their services, the more likely they are to buy that piece of Apple hardware the next time that it's refreshed. And uh, the more they buy the hardware, the more likely they are to use the services. So it's sort of this virtuous loop that um, leads to more money for Apple. 
Absolutely. And it's a loop that I think uh, customers are happy to be a part of because the value proposition is reinforced not just once a year when you get a new phone, but it's reinforced all the way through the year as you're using all of these branded services. And each one of those branded services may not necessarily be best in class. You know, I think we can arguably say if you put Apple Music up against Spotify there, you know, you can make an argument that maybe Spotify is better than Apple Music in certain sure. uh, regards. Maybe Netflix beats out Apple TV Plus in terms of, you know, titles that you might want to watch or the overall size and breadth of the library. But here's the thing. It isn't just a one-to-one -one comparison. It's a suite of offerings. And so I think there's a really good lesson here for sort of the cloud world is uh, don't compete based on individual services. Don't compare services to each other just based on putting their features list one next to the other. Look at the context within which they're acquired and used. Are they part of a larger whole? Is there an, op is there an opportunity? to leverage data from one. So, you know, for, for example, uh, can, can uh, insight from the Fitness Plus app be used uh, to inform uh, all of the other services as well? What's Apple gonna be doing with that data to create new value and obviously new revenue streams going forward? It's kind of interesting to see once you glom them all together, how one plus one doesn't equal two anymore, it equals three and beyond. And if you're playing in that sandbox with all of these different services, which really now only Apple has that breadth of service, uh, you really are competing not against everyone else, but against yourself. Yeah, that's a good way to frame it, Carmi. Another thing I like to point out to people is that while Apple Music might not be better than Spotify, and really, I, I don't know how it's rated. I'm a Spotify user. I've never used Apple Music myself, so I don't know how it compares. But let's say it's not as good. It still might be just good enough that Apple... Uh, Apple users are happy to stick with it and they don't feel like they have to leave it to go and use Spotify and it integrates well into their hardware. So sometimes things don't have to be best of breed in order to win the consumer. Sometimes they're just the easiest thing to use. Exactly. And it, it comes on the phone that I buy and it, and it seamlessly interacts with the tablet that I have and the laptop that I'm using and the watch that I have on my wrist. And those are little things that that, that sort of create a sense of value that best of breed in one pr product, uh, it, it essentially renders that useless. In other words, it doesn't have to be the best. As long as they all work together seamlessly across all the devices that I have, then I'm pretty happy. And so looking sort of you know, to, to where the industry is going, Apple, you're right, is never the first into, into the market, but that's, that's, that's why it succeeds. It skips a beat. It lets someone else be uh, the, the, you know, the fast mover. It lets them make the, those initial mistakes. It then learns from those mistakes and incorporates those learnings into whatever it brings to market. As a consumer, I, you know, I, I think, and I think all of us as consumers should be following that approach as well. In other words, take your time to sort of see what's out there, scan the market, understand what makes the most sense for you and only dive in once it's reached a level of maturity and comfort uh, that, that you're okay with, then you'll get the value. You never wanna be the first person on your block to dive into a radically new service because you're the one who's gonna be incurring all, the, all that pain along the way. Yeah, and talking about services, uh, one of the new services that Apple released um, here at this event was a fitness service and it tied right into their hardware with the new Apple Watch release. With Apple Watch Series 6, you can measure your blood oxygen right from your wrist. The new health sensor in Series 6 shines red and infrared light onto your wrist and measures the amount of light reflected back. 
Advanced algorithms use this data to calculate the color of your blood, which indicates the amount of oxygen present. So a strong connection to using this watch for wellness. And of course, we've seen this across other smartwatches. And of course, with Fitbit, which Google recently acquired. So you see Apple and Google having a battle in this business dimension now. And you also see this service, this fitness service that uh, Apple is releasing would be a competition to a service like Fitbit Premium and even uh, Peloton, which the company that sells these uh, stationary bikes and uh, give, delivers like live streaming exercise classes, right? People's screens on there. So, you know, what do you think of this connection of the watch to a fitness service? I think we've just seen the future of wearables, Brian. I mean, I think this is where it's going. And I think, you know, it's it's Apple's game to lose at this point. And if I'm Google, uh, you know, where Google has just been tripping all over itself for years trying to get its wearable strategy off off the ground, still they still haven't made it clear exactly how they're going to leverage Fitbit in that strategy going forward. Um, and now along comes Apple, with which, you know, sells more uh, Apple watches than every other smart watchmaker combined, even more than the entire Swiss watch industry. Um, number one watch watch seller in the world now. Um, and all of these devices are now gateways to these new services, which of course we will pay for on a subscription basis. Uh, and and so if, if you are not Apple, you're looking at this going, oh my God, you know, the world just shifted and I'm in trouble. Um, and justifiably so. Apple has seeded the market with uh, six increasingly capable generations of smartwatch. Um, it now has a second tier with the Apple Watch SE, uh, which of course will support Fitness Plus as well. And those millions of, uh, of watches uh, can then be used you know, with this service will create huge piles of data. We can talk about the privacy concerns another time. That's certainly an issue. Um, yeah. But in the, in the right hands, this level of data can create the baseline or the basis for additional healthcare-related services. Apple's already partnering with uh, insurance companies, uh, you know, to to roll out the watch with the services mm -hmm. on them. This opens up a door uh, to use smartwatches in ways that we could not have envisioned before, and quite frankly, uh, allow better health outcomes for people. So rather than just just checking my pulse uh, oxygen level when I go to the doctor. I now have reams of data over days, weeks, months that show trends and can be shared with my doctor and it can point them in the right direction of the kinds of treatments that they should be focusing on for me. So it opens up new doors for healthcare. It also opens up new doors for Apple to be the technology provider of choice for that data collection and leveraging. And, and so maybe five years from now, we're going to be talking about Apple in a very different light. They're almost going to be the front end of the healthcare system. And I think uh, we got a really good picture of it with uh, this year's announcement. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right that this is indicative of a trend overall where, you know, you talk about the quantified self. And this is the idea that we've had really since people have started wearing things like Fitbits is that the more data we can collect about how many steps are we getting? What's our heart rates in a day, uh, what is our blood oxygen level? Are we healthy, right? All, all of these little data points can help people point themselves in the right directions and 
tune their habits towards wellness. And once we get to the level where we're integrating things like machine learning and connecting to health portals that our healthcare providers can be a part of, I think that this is going to be a huge market for the future. And, and this is the start of that, right? So we're just getting a little t taste of it to start with here. Um, what I will say is that they really did need that Apple Watch SE to come out, and I didn't catch the price point for it, but I'm assuming it's less expensive than the Apple Watch, uh, which they need, because you look at what Fitbit offers, you can buy into the Fitbit family and get uh, start getting some data on your wellness um, for under a hundred bucks. Uh, so that's pretty good. And it's tough to compete against that, uh, even for Apple. Absolutely. And I don't think Apple, I don't think we're ever going to see any Apple branded wearable, uh, you know, in the you know hundred dollar range. But certainly what they're doing is they're, they're, they're slicing the market ever thinner. So the Apple Watch has been on sale for a few years. It's always been priced as a premium product. And I think they've sold as many Apple Watches to that group of people who are willing to spend that kind of money as they're going to sell. And so now what they're doing is they're coming down one level. They traditionally used earlier versions of the Apple Watch to target them. So the, the Series 3 was the, the previous cheap option for the last year. Well, now it's a dedicated device, kind of like the iPhone SE. Um, and so it allows you to play in a market, allows you to grow that that end, grow that population, grow the number, um, which of course then gives you more potential devices to base these services on. And many people, in fact, will buy into uh, the, the bundle of services based strictly on what Fitness Plus makes available to them. This isn't just a point solution that works on a Fitbit. It's a part of a larger solution that works across all of your devices. Um, and it provides that much more value because I'm pretty sure that five years from now, uh, my doctor, my clinic, my, my hospital, they're probably going to be standardizing on Apple's technology, probably not on Fitbit's. And I think if I'm making some buying decisions now, uh, the Apple Watch SE has now just come into my budget and it also fits that long-term strategy that I'm not just going to buy it and it's going to be dead within a couple of years and I'm going to have to replace it. I'm now buying into something long-term that's going to make me healthier and it's going to make that worth my while. And I think from a consumer perspective, from a, you know, from a, a market development perspective, um, you know, Apple, again, is sort of it's it's almost like Wayne Gretzky and hockey. They're not looking or they're not aiming for where the where the puck is now. They're aiming for the where the puck is going to be way down the road. Uh, and, you know, they're still seeing things that I don't think anyone else is. I sound a bit like an Apple, you know, super fan here, but it's hard to argue with that degree of success because yet again, they're one step ahead. Yeah, I I mean, this is is it a trillion dollar company now, a two trillion dollar company now? through two trillion dollars and you know you don't get to that level of valuation by simply following someone else's script you get to that level of valuation by creating your own roadmap um, and then sticking to it and i think to tim cook's credit uh, since he took over as ceo in, in the wake of steve jobs late steve jobs's departure he's he's managed to figure that out he's kind of gradually shifted the company away from the things that steve jobs held sacrosanct um, into areas of business that protect uh, apple from the kinds of risks that they were running were running by being so dependent on certain categories of hardware. That was where Apple was in 2011. That's not where Apple is today. Not at all. No, totally different company now. Uh, there's a couple more points I want to hit here outside of the services launch. At the beginning of their 
keynote presentation, Apple announced that it will be carbon neutral by 2030, made a commitment to that. And I thought that was, was great to hear. Of course, we know that uh, there are scientists out there predicting that if we don't um, really reverse the carbon emissions that we've been putting into the atmosphere by 2030, the Earth will suffer irreversible damage. So that's why this is sort of a target for companies out there. Apple's not alone in trying to hit a target like that. It comes a day after Google announced that it's going to an all-carbon-free energy model by 2030. So I just wanted to explain um, what's happening here. And first of all, it's great to see this sort of competition or this sort of shared value, perhaps, that we need to move towards a carbon-free uh, business model. Uh, just to point out the different wording here and what it means, by Google saying it's going to a carbon-free energy model, that means that they're literally going to emit no carbon from the energy that they're burning. They wouldn't, wouldn't be using any fossil fuels uh, like coal. Uh, electricity, for example, in, in running their data centers. And Apple, to, to go to carbon neutral, um, is a bit different because they might be burning, creating carbon uh, themselves by burning fossil fuels, but then they could buy offsets to counteract that, right? So I just wanted to point out the difference between those two things. I, I think they're both good commitments to have from these companies. Any thoughts there, Carmi? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's almost like Google knew that this was coming. So they thought they would spoil Apple's uh, coming out party by making an announcement just right. before the, the event. But I think we all win here. And I think, uh, you know, obviously, there are some minor details in sort of exactly how they're going to get there. But the fact that two of the most influential technology companies on the planet are making this degree of commitment uh, to uh, environmental sanity uh, is uh, you know both notable. Uh, I think we should applaud it. Uh, I'm thrilled to see it because it sets the tone not just for the rest of the tech industry but for all industry. Um, and and I think it gives legislators, governments, not just in the U.S. but everywhere, something to think about. About hmm, well, you know, if Google and Apple can step forward and do this, what should we be doing from a legislative perspective to start encouraging other companies to go there? And 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 I think. These two announcements coming one literally one after the other, I think they'll start shifting the perception of of uh, going green from something that is altruistic. In other words, they're not doing this because it's a charity or because they, they want to feel good. Of course they do and we do. Um, but this is just like going forward. This is going to be good business. Um, it, it, it means that their data centers might be, they'll cost less to build, less to run, uh, that, uh, you know, the overall supply chain can run more efficiently, which will, of course, remove costs from the equation. And so they didn't mm -hmm. just wake up one day and decide we're going to do this for the sake of doing it, however much it costs. I think long term, they recognize that this is going to be a cost reducer, uh, a, a revenue increaser and an efficiency driver. And so if Google yeah. and Apple lead the way, the rest of the industry, it's up to them to follow. And quite frankly, it's up to us to follow their lead as well. Yeah, it could especially be a cost saver in a world where uh, carbon has a price associated with it. And we see some governments moving in that direction. Right. But um I want to move on to the iPad and we'll finish there because there was a new iPad announced there. Actually, multiple new iPads because we have the base model iPad, uh, which is sort of like the lowest uh, point of entry into this tablet world. And then we have the iPad Air, 
uh, which is a bit more of a premium product. And um, I was surprised to see how focused they were on education sector using this Carmi. But then I was thinking about it and I'm realizing that when I talk to our clients in the education sector, they're talking about acquiring hundreds or thousands of these iPads to assign to their students. And in, in many cases, it's even like a laptop replacement, just like the Apple commercials want us to believe. And um, I think that they have sort of carved out a space for themselves in the education sector as a viable device to get work done on. Apple has always been a, a vendor of choice for educators on, you know, my wife's a teacher. So we, you know, we live this reality in our home. She lives that reality in her school where Apple has always been sort of the first choice uh, for a whole lot of reasons. The company stands behind its products and it supports them. Uh, they get the assistance that they require to deploy what they need uh, within the classroom environment. Uh, they execute that well. It isn't just about hardware. It's about services and support. And Apple, uh, you know, survey after survey, they, they, you know, they show that they can, they can deliver on that level and schools uh, especially, um, you know, value that kind of commitment. Um, it's interesting that it's coming now. You know, here we are just over half a year into the pandemic, into the lockdown. Um, and, you know, we are seeing just how uh, critical technology deployment is to education and how critical, uh, you know, end user devices, edge computing devices like tablets uh, are to ensuring that you can deploy educational content uh, to your students, no matter where they are. Uh, and so it's never been more important than it is now for this capability to be in the hands of students who could be anywhere for all we know, but to be able to move between the physical school environment and home and remote work, uh, remote schooling environments. Um, this, you know, this prepares that environment. It prepares those teachers and students for that reality. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that the messaging around these new iPads wasn't fully cooked or fully baked in January or February. But as the pandemic wore on, I think the messaging, I think the Apple deliberately turned it toward education. And it's quite the masterstroke uh, because this is where the greatest demand lies now. Um, and it's a case of the right technology at the right time meeting the right need. Um, and again, it's a lesson not just for consumer products companies, uh, but it's a it's a it's a lesson for any company. What's happening in the world outside that's influencing the people who consume your products and services? And how should you be reshaping, repositioning, uh, putting new frameworks around the use cases that your customers require most? Uh, Apple's done that particularly well through the pandemic, and I think the iPad is where we sort of see that example shining most brightly. Mm -hmm. And one more point I want to make about the iPad is it had a new CPU. I'm super excited to tell you about the powerful new chip we've built into the new iPad Air. Our latest A-series processor, A14 Bionic. A14 Bionic includes a big update to our CPU. A14 also features our newest GPU architecture. So that's the new A14 Bionic. That's right. I'm going to get geekier here and talk about a processor. And Carby, all I want to say about this is that it it's really significant that Apple is a CPU maker, again, obviously, um, and has been for a long time, especially for its mobile devices now. But not only are they CPU maker, but they're making specifically machine learning uh, processors because we're seeing this trend in the processor 
market that um, CPUs aren't necessarily well equipped to handle the type of processing required by machine learning. So we're getting more differentiation in chips now. And uh, we're getting not just one uh, processor for all jobs, but we're getting specialized processors for different types of job. Uh, machine learning being chief amongst those, I th think, in the market right now. And I think it's going to be a big differentiator um, in the future uh, for these devices that are doing things at the edge of these networks, like an iPad, uh, like a smartphone. Uh, what sort of artificial intelligence capabilities is it? Uh, does it have available to it? And um, having the right sort of architecture and chip behind it is going to really big, be a big d determiner of that. So whether Apple's chops are going to help it uh, succeed in this area or not, I think will be interesting to watch. And we'll see if developers are taking advantage of this machine learning capabilities and if they're doing so in a way that is pleasing to users. I think we're at the beginning of a, of a of a new era of the development capability. I think developers are practically drooling at what this hardware will allow them to do. I often think of things in terms of use case, right? So you have a, a certain technology solution. What's it being used for? And those use cases evolve over time. So how you use an iPad when it was first released 10 years ago is very different than how you use it today. We've evolved from, you know, basically surfing the web and maybe doing some, you know, some messaging and running some very simple apps to you know you know now it's you know, image recognition uh, you know motion sensing uh, natural language uh, and you know look at how you use any device and and it sort of puts those old use cases to shame and of course you need hardware uh, and power to keep up with that and that's what machine learning capability built right into the chipset uh, mm. gives you um, it gives you hardware that keeps up with these new use cases throughout the life of the hardware um, and it allows you to sort of ensure that the services that you're running which get more sophisticated on a practically daily basis um, don't stagger uh, on hardware that can't keep up and so apple of course uh, since it decided to be sort of the, the driver of its own destiny when it comes to its chips, not relying on someone else's designs, but creating its own and working with its partners to have its own roadmap, um, you know, culminating in the A14 Bionic. I think it's, uh, you know, this is yet another sort of, you know, didn't get a whole lot of news when Apple decided to start coming up with its own A-series chips years back for the iPad and the iPhone didn't get a whole lot of news, uh, you know, didn't generate a whole lot of news when uh, they decided to, to, to pitch uh, or to ditch Intel and start going with their own designs for their Macs. But really, that is the core of the Apple story is that they don't have to wait for someone else's technology to create value on top of that platform. They're building the platform themselves and they're, they're sort of letting the market decide where that, where that value proposition is going. And I think that's smart. They're the masters of their own destiny. And if you're a technology company, uh, the more vertically integrated you can get. I know it's hard, um, but ultimately it allows you to be the author of that story. And Apple right now is authoring it on a level that I don't think we're really seeing from most of its uh, its one-to-one -one co competition. That's right. It's got the full stack from the hardware to the software to the services to the data. I'm there. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'd better wrap this up, Carmi, or else will be going as long as Apple's keynote was. <laughs> That's a good point. We don't want to exceed that. No. <laughs> okay. So thank you so much, Carmi, for joining me. Great chatting with you, Brian. As always, really appreciate it. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to Tech Insights. Remember to subscribe to us if you haven't already. 
You can visit us on the web. It's anchor.fm slash techinsights. We're also available to subscribe to on Spotify. Or you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or really wherever else you find podcasts. I'm your host, Brian Jackson.